Welcome, ghosties, to episode 62 of the Ghost Lights podcast. This evening, we sat down with Lisa Young and talked about how her love of theater was born on the streets of New York and what she thinks representation and equality in the theater community looks like. Please bear with us this episode as we found some technical issues on my end where I sound like a disordered monster, but don't be scared. It's still the Ghost Lights podcast. Once again, this episode is brought to you in part by Destination Freedom Radio Days, a podcast curated by our good friend Donielle Betts. We guarantee you will not regret listening to them. So find them anywhere you get your podcast from after you're done listening to us, of course. And if you're still looking to scratch that theater viewing itch, please visit thewhiskeytasting.com for tickets and information on how to be a part of the Catamounts and off-center production, The Whiskey Tasting. Now, Dan, give me some of that war by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. your boy sam gilstrap we are back again this time the amazing the hot fire that cannot be contained lisa young lisa, <laughs> i am you know i i'm doing really good i got my vaccine on Ooh. saturday and my right arm is kind of stiff and sore yeah. but other than that uh, in a good place uh lost a good friend recently oh, no. in the theater world uh, Lucy Rucius, we give a shout out to that. Lucy's in the sky with diamonds, uh, beautiful oh, yeah. woman. But yeah, other uh, in a mental space and good, physical space and good, doing well. Good. Was that your first shot or the the last one? No, it was the first one. Uh, okay, right. I work as an educator, so I got bumped up on the list there. Nice. I got that first shot, so I'll be a zombie or whatever when they turn on the microchips soon. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. I get my second shot on March 6th. So. Oh, nice. I, I think you know. I'm right behind you. Cool. The 13th cool. of March, yeah. yeah. I mean, I figure I already got a smartphone. What else is another microchip inside me? Come on. Talk yeah. about it. I mean, I was talking about sunflowers the other day. And now on social media, I keep getting all these ads for sunflower jewelry. <laughs> so, yeah. I, yeah I oh, man, the algorithms. They're checking in on everybody. They got tabs. And they know what you're doing. They know who you're talking to. When, yeah, there was a time I thought, oh, that's just another conspiracy theory. Nobody cares what, who I'm talking to and what I'm doing. But now we see you, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, they do care. That's oh, why there's hashtags. That's right. So Especially if they're hashtag- selling me something, right? Right, yeah. I mean, it's not like anyone would take this opportunity to sell anyone on the Ghost Lights podcast hosted by Sam Gilstrap. Where we drop new shows every week. That's right, baby. D- Dear Siri, Ghost Light. <laughs> Ghost Light. Put that on my Facebook Ghost thread. Light. I want to see it. All right, Hashtag Lisa. Ghost Light. Tell me, theater, how did it happen to you? I'm I'm gonna take you back a couple of decades. I was a little girl in New York City. Mm. And my godmother, she took me to see. Broadway shows, off-Broadway shows. Um, I kind of, I grew up in Louisiana. I was born in Louisiana, I should say, I don't, I don't know why. And I grew up in New York, New Jersey before I even hit 
Colorado. And the, one day I was just walking by uh, the auditorium at my school in the Bronx, PS 85, and they were doing something, singing and dancing and acting or something. I stuck my head in. I was like, I don't know what's going on in here, but I went in and I just had a seat and they were like, do you belong in here? I was like, yeah, I belong in here. And uh, yeah, my godmother uh, told her about that. And uh, she used to kind of work uh, between the city of New York and Broadway and bringing kids in to theater. Mm -hmm. She took me to see uh, Mama, I Wanna Sing. I got to see Sweeney Todd. I got to see The Wiz. And it was The Wiz seeing Stephanie Mills and going, oh, wait, we do this too? Black people do this too? You know, mm -hmm. like, like big time? And I was hooked. I that, that was all it took was to see someone who looked, and I believe Stephanie Mills may have been almost 20 or, or in her late teens when she did that show. I maybe looked that up, but I was like, that's me, mm. you know? And and the love, and then after that, I was, I was in all kinds of. I, I believe I played a tree, a blade of grass, or something crazy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, and 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 was hooked from that moment forward. And I was probably five years old, five, six, seven years old. And what was it specifically about seeing those shows that like sparked that within you? It was just the magic. Um, I will tell you this much. I remember, this is a funny story. I remember seeing Sweeney Todd. And I remember seeing like people die on stage. And I was like, oh my God. I freaked out. I was like, oh my God, they just killed someone. My godmother grabbed me by the collar, took me out in the lobby. And the, and the, and the question was, do you want to go home? Or do you want to go back in and watch the magic? And I knew if I went home and she was gonna miss that show, it was not gonna go well for my little life. So <laughs> I wanna go see the magic. And it, it took like me understanding, oh, they're acting, this is not real, but it looked so real. And it, you know, I, I there were times where I would just like laugh or cry and just be transported instantaneously. And, and, and just being a kid, living in the Bronx, it was just like, oh my goodness, there's something better than what's going on out in these streets. Mm. And, and it's beautiful. And and what do you mean they tear it all down at night and start over again? So yeah, it was the magic for me. And, and like I said, I think the spark or the catalyst was seeing, you know, all black, beautiful bodies up there singing and dancing and, and doing it. Yeah. And, and just seeing the magic. And then I remember, I remember being very mad when the movie came out and like, they did, what you, What do you mean to tell me you didn't cast Stephanie Mills, Diana Ross, she's too old, and being opinionated, you know, um, about that. I, I think, uh, yeah, I was stuck. I was mm. stuck like glue. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, the, the magic was real for you, what it did for oh. you. It, it was, and yeah. you know, um, wound up, I, I was a latchkey kid. Uh, my parents uh, were born in Louisiana. They were from Louisiana. And so my dad got a job at Western Union in New York and that's how we left Louisiana to go to New York City. And 
I will say my education then we got to go see all of the museums, you know, um, being a part of all the festivals, Shakespeare Park, you know, all of those things. I was, I was really open, my eyes were open, I should say, to the arts as a, at a young age. And I remember television at first. You know, watching PBS and Masterpiece uh, Theater was presented on TV and staying up late at night as a little kid. And don't tell anybody. I know I'm saying this on a podcast, but don't tell anyone. Like watching Benny Hill <laughs> and <laughs> the filth of Benny Hill. <laughs> Should not have been watching, but, um, you know, I thought this is amazing. This medium is just amazing. This mm-hmm. art and, and you're like hook, line, and sinker. I was, I was just grabbed. And then when I realized that not only people did it filmed on television, there was what line action that you know, and I could do this too. So yeah, it it was that seeing that magic, and and like I said, being a part of. And then I wound up being a part of the Agate program, the Arts Agate program at my school, mm-hmm. and. <clears throat> being able to build a set, uh, you know, having famous actors and people come in and talk to us and, you know, touch things and, and see how, you know, the, the Sweeney Todd barber chair, you know, was a slide and they just went down in a hole and landed on a big cushion and everybody was fine. But mm-hmm. here I am in the audience thinking, that's real blood. People are dying. Oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. So. Yeah, my my little my little girl eyes were just like probably as wide as dime or quarters or silver dollars, you know, uh, just. And and I remember there was a show that my godmother refused to take me to because of how inquisitive I was. Mm. And she said, "I would take you to see this, but there's so much going on. You're going to be spending more time." trying to look up and see, you know, how they're flying in things. And, and, and I, I, really, I really wish I could remember what show it was. And I was very disheartened that she wouldn't take me because I, I was like a sea of questions afterwards. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you think they got that horse on stage? It wasn't a horse. It was, it was a couple of people in, you know, dressed in looking like a horse. How did they drive that car? It was, a, you know, the, just the front end of a car. No, that was a whole car, you know. <laughs> How did they change those clothes so fast? Or, you know, um, it was, I, I remember like being very inquisitive and wanting to know everything. What's going on behind the stage? And, you know, maybe a little bit of narcissism too, seeing myself <laughs> See doing yourself. all that. Yeah, you know? rocking it out there. It seems like it was important for your folks, including your, your grandmother, was taking you to these shows to like godmother, expose, godmother, yeah. sorry, yeah. godmother mm-hmm. to expose you to these these mediums. Yeah, um, like I said, I feel my education uh, growing up in the Bronx, growing up in the public school system in New York City, we had more field trips to ballet, opera, plays, musicals, and and then. Like I said, they were bringing in folks and, and we were exposed. And yes, my parents, um, they were more than happy for me to be involved and supported in the early years. I'll say that, I'll put a button on that. Mm-hmm. In the early years, they were very supportive of yeah. um, the crazy. 
Because you know it's crazy. Oh, yeah, it is. It's mm. kind of crazy, though. Phenomenal yeah. crazy. I take yeah, it we, don't need, we don't need treatment. We get it every night on the stage. Mm-hmm. I agree. So talking about seeing Stephanie Mills and The Wiz, someone who's indoctrinated to like Masterpiece Theater, seeing Benny Hill, things of that nature. Were you aware, even at a young age, of your lack of seeing people who looked like you, black faces on stage? Or is that something that, yes. yeah. Um, I'll, I'll share a story with you. Um, there was this program, I, I won't name the program because it's a very famous after-school program in, uh, in New York. And I kind of, another time I feel like I just, my mom probably enrolled me in it, but then I, like made sure I would I didn't miss anything. And they were putting on a play about princesses. Mm-hmm. And they had all the princesses. And and it wasn't like the Disney they they took like like Sleepy Princess and not Sleeping Beauty or you know they, they changed it around and it was this uh story about and I'm, my memory is failing me and we'll get into that um momentarily too. But it was more of like all the princesses were having a beauty pageant and they had to show their talents and they had to uh, say why they should be the best princess or something. And so I was like, oh, I want to be a princess. And, and they were like, oh, I'm sorry, just, just don't, we don't have any black or brown princesses for you to play. And I was like, oh, I really want to be a princess. And so they made up a, a character, Princess French Fry. And it was because she was brown. And, and, and now that I'm older, I was just excited to be a part of it. I was like, ah, I need to make Princess French fry. And I need a brown swimsuit and, you know, brown dress. And um, and now that I look back on it, I, I know it was probably discrimination and racism sticking right. out its ugly head. But yeah, that um, throughout my formative years as a kid in theater and um, after school theater programs, it was very much so at the forefront of what conversations were with, you know, my teachers and, and directors of, oh, let's see what, you know, what could Lisa be in this show? Hmm. It, it's, and even like when I lived in the Bronx, like I said, I went to a, a, a neighborhood school where it's predominantly black and brown children. So, that's probably where I got the most opportunity. Then mm-hmm. uh, moved to Asbury Park, Neptune, New Jersey, down in Jersey Shore. And I remember um, we were doing the show, The Monkey's Paw, I think it was. The casting was, oh, um, this is a family and you wouldn't fit into the family. So we'll have you do stage management or work with lighting or costuming or something like that because we mm. just don't have a spot for you. So yeah, it, it was very apparent then that you know apparently no one ever had a blended family. No one ever had you know black and brown children with white parents, which we know they're adopted. They're adopted families and their families that you have uh, biracial mm-hmm. children or, or children of a black dad, black mom with a white Asian, Latin, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, it was it was very apparent to me at a young age, the inequities 
of being on stage. So yeah, seeing this fully black uh, cast and, and, and directed and, and musical direction, you know, brand new um, um, adaptation of The Wizard of Oz, it, yeah, it was very much so like the eye-opening experience that I always go back to saying, I can really do this. Mm. It's it's tangible. It's it's in my reach. Yeah. Yeah. I I would I wonder when you were faced with those obstacles, were you ever discouraged to the point of thinking about cutting theater out of your life? You know, this is that part about um, especially black families, I think when a child is saying, oh, I wanna be an actor and I wanna, you know, do this, this, this life of being in the arts this way. You know, I think that's when you have this conversation of how feasible is it mm -hmm. for you? You know, are you, in fact, um, when I decided to go to college, I really, you know, I, I was offered a couple of scholarships for theater and was lovingly talked out of it because it was like, you won't have a career. You won't be able to sustain a living wage. And, and do you really think this is something that is safe for you to do? And I can understand that, you know, now looking at the environment that we are in right now, or even the atmosphere of, you know, siloing Black shows in the February. Happy Black History Month, everybody. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. it's like to do that one Black show. And, and it's amazing. Like I've been hearing more and more how, uh, how that mindset has sculpted many famous actors. Yeah. you know their lives is like oh they do that one that one show a year or that one black movie a year so you better get in and i i believe i just watched this um documentary on netflix uh i will look it up i gotta remember the name um but i believe that was a robert townsend quote mm. of like trying to make it in hollywood and how he wound up doing hollywood shuffle the movie is like the only way I'm going to be able to do this is if I do my own thing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And um, yeah, so it did. It 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 was there, but because of this whole thing. Well, since you're here, can you make the program? Since you're here, can you costume this? Since you're here, can you do stage management? You know, I feel like I have a more well-rounded theater background mm -hmm. because I've done a little bit of everything mm. and I, I, I never gave up. I, I think I was either too hard headed or too optimistic, <laughs> <laughs> you know, too stubborn to give up. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with optimistic. You You've always struck me as somebody with a, with, with a, a beautiful buoyant energy about you. And then if you were being presented with those, those types of obstacles, I'm, it's clear that you never let that stop you because we're here sitting talking now, but you also didn't strike me as somebody who would have. It's because it's a part of you. And so it's a, it's, that's like a key thing about any of us artists is that at some point we see a performance, we hear a song, we see a dance routine, a painting, and that just becomes the part of our DNA. And we have to, 
live up to what we saw that one moment. Maybe we're chasing that for the rest of our lives, but there's nobody or nothing that can that can effectively stop you from pursuing that once you've once you've tasted it for just a second. Agreed. Yeah. Completely. So as you've matured within the career, you you get you go to college, you're out performing, working in a school right now. How have you have you seen the theater landscape change? Was it a slow progression? Or are we not even there yet? No, we're not there yet. Um, in fact, I think we've gotten worse instead of better. Uh, there are more opportunities. And, and when I speak to this, I'm not only just speaking about Denver, I, I look at, you know, the, the change the sweeping changes that are going on right now, especially with um, this past summer, we see you white American theater and um, theater folks of color, all these movements that have come because I think people probably uh, probably put the sword in the sand is like, we're not going any further. Okay, we're gonna fix this now. Having been on theater boards and been a part of creations of theaters that did not work quite work out or other things. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot. And I will say there was a lot of complacency, hmm. you know, you should just be happy that you're being cast or you should just be happy that you're, you know, it's like, really? Mm -hmm. really? And um, I will say I took a hiatus because of health um, between college and my quote unquote semi-professional professional career. And yeah, I, I saw a lot that I spoke out. I was very outspoken and spoke out about my feelings, about the way things felt mm -hmm. to me. And I'm glad to say now where we are, we're not there yet. I'm glad to say that my, my instincts, my gut instincts were right, that there was a lot of inequities, there was a lot of injustice, a lot of you know deep-seated white supremacy and racism and discrimination and ableism and elitism that goes on in theater. And all arts, I, I will say, um, the more that I work with ideas, the more I'm seeing things at museums, at ballet companies, you know. Um, and I always go to this thing with my own personal trials as an artist, you know, uh, mm -hmm. makeup, tights, yeah. <laughs> you know, being told, oh, we, can't, we, don't have, we can't find your color. Can you, you go out and get your own or you know we can't can't find that that those tights you know and and even like now makeup is crazy to me because i'm like really mm -hmm. <laughs> makeup there, there are black companies you know and you can't find uh, makeup or or even like the queen latifah line of i want to say cover girl I'm, I'm not, i might it might be maybelline but one of them you know there, there <laughs> sure. are lines that you know celebrities have founded and you're you're saying you can't find my shade and um yeah tights are almost impossible mm -hmm. and i'm i'm someone that once i find something i probably buy like five pair at a time yeah because because they are the ones that are you know oh we don't sell those so so we we got, we got rid of that color in our line so, yeah, 
it, it costs a lot to be a person of color, a black woman acting. Yeah. <laughs> and and going on, you know, not being reimbursed at all sometimes is just like great. That's disheartening. I mean, how much work you have to do outside of honing your craft in order to even have the career, it seems like. It's almost like you have to come prepared for any of the contingencies that they can't meet meet or rise to the occasion. Hair, sizeism, you know, I, yeah. I've been told by, you know, costumers, oh, I want to fit you, but do you have a skirt that you could bring in? I wouldn't, I can't find anything. It was like, mm -hmm. it is funny. I walked in here fully dressed, you know, not naked when I walk in the door and and I know a lot of costumers aren't builders, you know, they don't build the, the costumes themselves, but, or, or um, create costumes. They, they are more hunter gatherers. So mm. it, it's amazing to me. Once again, there are whole industries, <laughs> you know, Lane Bryant. Yeah. <laughs> the, some of these stores that built their entire, uh, their entire fame on has been on, uh, sizes 14 and up you know? <laughs> so, so it's funny to me that when a customer tells me I can't find anything to fit you oh. or um, anything crazy like that and you know this brings me also to I've been asked in the past why I never especially in Colorado attempted to become an equity actor or a union actor and I was like because it's not sustainable yeah right if, if, you know, there's 200 of us in this town that, you know, theater companies are saying we can't, we don't know of any actors of color, except for maybe the six of us, you know, who like will run anywhere and do almost any part for almost no money, mm -hmm. right, in, in community theater. Um, it's amazing to me that people think that well, why don't you become an equity actor? And it's like, well, there are some things you have to do to become an equity actor. And you have to be in a certain number of equity shows mm -hmm. to even apply. And it's just supply and demand, right? Yeah. Other people fighting for, for limited spots. Exactly. So it, that's not sustainable. And unless you leave Colorado, mm. and unless you leave Colorado and then even coming back, is it is it you know feasible to come back and, and jump in under the current climate? And, and I'm saying current as in like 2020, the 20s, yeah. let's put it that way, right? How do you feel, let me, let me first backtrack here. Ideas, the company that you mentioned, the thing that's kind of showed you, opened up windows into other walks of theater life where you've seen people being disenfranchised and being barred from active success in their, in their chosen profession. What is the mission statement of ideas, if you will? I think I'd rather tell you the story and then get into our mission vision. That'd be great. Currently. Okay. So, um, you know, with the pandemic uh, showing, rearing its beautiful head, because of my work with the Colorado Field Guild, I, I kept getting all of these emails asking, you know, uh, what we were planning to do as far as like coming back safely into theater, you know, as far as what what safety precautions we would feel safe, 
you know, in, in, in doing it? You know, mm -hmm. would, would you feel safe if we had, you know, six feet in between the chairs? Would you feel safe if um, there were people guiding you into the bathroom, hand sanitizer, all those things were like asked and it was like, hmm, what are you gonna do to keep us safe from white supremacy in, you know, in, in theater? And this was after, of course, uh, the, the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, uh, Ahmaud Aubrey, and so many others. Elijah. Right? Yeah, Elijah McClain, most definitely. And I was like, what are you going to do to keep black and brown and broken bodies safe in your, in your companies, in these buildings, mm -hmm. from the trauma that we have to sustain even in playing the same roles over and over again. And so I had been dreaming for a very long time about what diversity looked like in, in the theater realm and, and what companies could do and come together and, and make you know, equity, diversity, inclusion and access, you know, because I am a, an actor who lives in an intersection of being a woman, of being black, of being disabled. So there was more to me. I, I had my first stroke when I was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And so I gathered with a bunch of friends, picked up the phone, made a bunch of phone calls, and we, we drilled it down to what our mission could be is we would galvanize theater makers to take demonstrable action toward inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. And, and that's where Ideas was born. And, um, you know, I, I looked at, you know, we had EDI statements or GEI. I was like, you know, we, we have inclusion, diversity, equity, and access or accessibility. I have an idea. Hmm. What if we took the community and, and, we, and we created pillars that we could all stand on and everyone could feel safe on these pillars, right? Mm -hmm. On how to create theater safely, how to create theater with humanity in mind. Mm -hmm. So then we had a group of us who came together and we, we opened up a Google document and just started throwing ideas in there about what would it look like if you are you know, a transgendered person? What, what would make you feel safe in theater? Or um, what would it look like if you are a disabled person? What, what, what access would you need? If you're a woman who, who has done this work in, in leadership, but you're not getting paid the same as a man doing the exact same job or doing a, a lesser job than what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so that would be the first armory of, of ideas is to have these pillars that were co-authored by the community. And then working with collaboration and building databases. So when you're hit with, well, I don't know of any um, indigenous folk, uh, men who do acting, who have beards and wear glasses, mm -hmm. like Sam Gilstrap, you know, <laughs> or. Um, Thanks for the hookup. Hey, hey, I was, I was called for Sam. <laughs> or I don't know of any Latino lighting or sound designers, and I would really love them to come in. Or, you know, to have egregious casting that goes on in this community. And, you know, this, the shows that um, always come up are West Side Story, 
in the Heights, once on this island, we just have, well, I don't know anyone. So we love the music. We love the story. We love the show. We're going to put it on, whitewash it or uh, black, brown, yellow, red face it. And it's fine, right? Hey, at least we're putting forth this story about these people without these people, right? Uh, um, I'm also a longtime member of Family Theater Company. And, you know, this it's the thing of why aren't you casting disabled people to play disabled roles instead of gimping it up or and, and having an able-bodied person and you're taking away those roles from, it is a small community, but there's also pipelines that aren't being created for individuals who might have the want to, to do this work, but, you know, how many times in your education did you see someone say, oh, we're doing a Christmas carol and Tiny Tim, we've got a kid here at our school who uses uh, crutches to get around. He might want to learn how to become an actor. Let's talk to him about playing that role and other roles, yeah. you know, because I don't know about you, but there's a lot of disabled people in my family. There's a lot of disabled people in my community. So shouldn't our communities you know, be reflected on our stages. Yeah. Now I'll get off my soapbox for just a second. But mm-hmm. um, so, and then the next piece of um, ideas is the community where we have open conversations, where we help each other in learning about how do you go about doing this? How do we talk to each other? And more importantly, listen to each other, yeah. right? Because I don't, I don't think I'm the only one who's screaming in the wind for years about the inequities in in theater. And I'm not even talking about just casting. I mean, if you look at leadership, if you look at, you know, creative teams and staffing, board memberships, what do they look like? You know, do they look like the communities they dwell in are marginalized and underserved people requested to be on boards, taught how to be on boards, invited onto boards, invited to even volunteer in theaters. And a lot of times I've heard things like, well, we we put on those shows, but they just don't show up. And I was like, do you talk to people? Yeah. Do you outreach outside of your own little bubble of friends? And, and then when you do invite people in, is your predominantly white institution and organization prepared not to cause more harm, right? You bring people in and say, oh, well, I tried to um, hire Lisa Young as my group sales manager, and she didn't know what she was doing. And oh, but then again, I didn't provide her with the (laughs) material she needed to do her job, or um, there are closed conversations that we all know happen, and and you're not invited in that that access piece. So that's where ideas came from. That's great. And by the way, don't ever apologize for being on your soapbox here. This is a form for you. I wonder- Once again, thank you, because that's that white supremacy I live in. It's like, oh, I'm taking up too much time with myself. Not here, not here. Thank you. When you think about equality on stage, what does that look like to you? So equality on stage starts all the way back before you even get to casting, before you even get to promoting a show. It 
for for auditions. You know, a lot of times people think when we talk about this work, we're only talking about casting. Representation from top down, and, and I hate to use that top down analogy, is because theater, there shouldn't be any, in, in my community, we call it big eyes and little U's, right? Yes. <laughs> big eyes and little U's. Um, if I were to build a dream theater company, it, it would be a theater company that was led outside of the realm of the patriarchy, led outside of the realm of white supremacy. It would be um, where artists and producers and designers and technical people and staff were given agency to do their best work in their best framework. Okay, what works best for you, right? Because we all learn differently and we all come to this big, beautiful pie differently. Even if we're all, uh, if, if we all have background through education, you know, there's different, you know, there are people who argue, argue with you, which, which method is better in acting, right? So we all come from these different experiences and backgrounds. So it should be more of a, a beautiful circle. <laughs> what do you call it? Concentric circles. This mm. is something I've been working on. I, th I thought I've had in my head about leadership too. Concentric circles and where people are able to express their needs, right? Yeah. And there's representation. And if you don't have that representation, there should be open conversations with who you know, and if you don't know someone, how you get to know people, how you bring people in. And so it would start with, who are your producers? Who's your ED? Who's your AD? Who are your directors? Let's talk about lighting. Lighting of my skin tone is completely different than lighting of other people's skin. You know, white folks and, and yellow folks and red folks and brown folks. We all should be lit differently. What is it? Is it the Pantone colors? Come on, Sam. You, you don't know about it either. All right. Um, don't put me on the spot. And I'm, and I'm not going to do. <laughs> I'm not going to do it to both of us. But um, I will talk in a roundabout way of what I think I've seen. And there used to be, um, especially. Uh, Kodak, I want to say, mm -hmm. or, or some of the, 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 the picture people, the photography folks, where they had like these models of how you light skin, oh, right? yeah. skin tone. Yeah. And there was almost no representation of deeper, darker, richer hues of skin tone. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you put me under a bunch of light that might look good on a very pale woman with blonde hair and I'm washed out, you know, yeah. or look orange. That's why, you know, it's it's important that if you don't know, if you don't know those things, you go find someone who does or go do some research yeah. or take a class, right? Absolutely. And we have this thing called the internet now. So there's really no excuse for the, I don't know anymore. Does that answer your question? Because I do talk in a roundabout way. Well, no, definitely. I mean, to, to a certain extent, it does. You want to put people who 
exemplify the community by which they're trying to entertain in positions of managerial power, creative power. You want to provide, I think when you're talking about agency and, and please step me, kick me off this mansplaining tip anytime you want to, but you're talking about, (laughs) (laughs) I think when you're talking about agency, I think really what that boils down to and is giving people the confidence to advocate for themselves through their work and their art in this particular instance. Yeah, and, and the other thing is also meeting people where they are. If, if I ask a question, you know, not to be put down because I don't know something, yeah. you know, don't, don't have this expectation that everybody's coming from the same place. That's huge. Yeah, and with this work that I've been doing, you know, I've gotten a lot of, you know, questions about, well, how would I go about doing this? Or who do you know? But then I I helped a a theater company this past summer with um, some of their mission statements. And there were words in there like talented, competent, you know, um, and I was like, by whose standards? By whose standards are you asked, or parameters are you asking people? if they're talented, right? Because if I am an actor who has not been given access to work at a Lord Theater Company or under different, uh, great example, I'm a name drop a little bit, Steve Wilson, uh, who I work with in uh, family, uh, has taught me so much um, about Shakespeare, you know? and have taken Shakespeare in high school and taken Shakespeare in college and everything. And then there's just things that I'm just like, oh, I I went to a historically black college university. You know, I I was never taught that about, and it wasn't like, oh, you didn't know that. You know, there was no, um, it wasn't where I felt belittled for my lack of knowledge or my questions. Like I was belaboring, you know, the process, you know, if I had more questions than other people who had different backgrounds and experiences. And I think that's what theater is truly missing is like the heart, that passion and compassion piece, right? Mm -hmm. There's something to be said for like when you are working in a collaborative environment where you treat every opportunity to learn together about something because you mm-hmm. as you said earlier we're not all coming to the table with the same experiences whether we're all like whether it's a room full of white people or a room full of black people there there's differences amongst those groups too mm-hmm. it only it's only reasonable that there would be differences when the room is full of diverse people working on a specific project you want to level when we're leveling the playing field, we we want to provide agency so that they do feel like they can they can get the most out of their work and the most out of the people around them by not being afraid to ask the questions that they need to ask. Mm-hmm. So often I feel like that's something that, I mean, when I was a young actor, not from a, a, a personal racial inadequacy that I felt within myself, I was just, so eager to be great from Jump Street when I got out of college that I never asked mm-hmm. questions. It was like, oh, no, no, I got it. Whatever the note is, I, I figured it out. Sure, whatever. Yeah. And that was something I put in my brain. I was like, oh, that's how you just keep getting work because you're mm-hmm. easier to work with. 
Exactly, exactly. This, um, I just posted something in the um, Ideas Facebook page about this um, diva, you know, mentality or the dichotomy of being a, a, a BIPOC actor or actor from a marginalized community asking questions as opposed to, and I've seen it, I have seen it. Um, I've even seen where I've been in a show where, and I'll give the name of the show, but I won't say which production because I've been in three of them. Um, <laughs> Hairspray, uh -huh. where the white cast was given a plethora of notes, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it was like, oh, okay. And then when you get to the black cast, it's it's just really like no notes. Just, oh no, you did a great job, but everything's great. Keep doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I felt that, you know, we just lost the opportunity to learn right, to be better actors. You, you just kind of told me everything you're doing is fine. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was um, fear or what, you know, or just like, oh, I, I got six black people to show up and do this role. I'm not gonna make them mad and lose them, you know? And, and that goes back to that scarcity mindset of there's not enough work and, and you're the best I could get to come and you're not professional anyway. So, you know, do what you want and I'm not gonna bug you. Or, you know, so I've had that experience too, which which is disheartening, honestly. Yeah. Because I looked at it as I I bring a notebook, you know, I'm ready. I have my I have my script and I have like a whole empty journal for almost every show that I do for like I'm gonna take notes and then also for um, learning my lines. I do have a cognitive um, disability and and I've got a couple of um, strategies that I use for learning long monologues or even Shakespeare or learning songs. Mm. So it, it was very disheartening that, you know, I would go home and those notebooks would be <laughs> empty. Yeah. You know, from notes, yeah. It, it feels like- Unworthy, unworthy of learning, unworthy of getting, you know, told how to be better. Yeah. At, at the, you're, I think you're, you're very close to this. It's, that, it's, it's a white privilege-based fear. I don't want to, I don't want to alienate them by giving them something that's negative. That I'm sure that exists in some of those pockets where they're not, they're not fully committed to giving you the note that you may need or want because they won't, they don't trust you to process it like a professional. Mm -hmm. When all any of us are asking for as artists is to treat us Teach like me, we're show artists. Show me, yeah, exactly. Treat us like we're artists. We're trying to make something work grow. together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. What are some of the um, ways in which you help learn your lines, if you mind, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, sure. Um, well, my first, one of my strategies, and, I, and like I, I did mention before I had a stroke, my first stroke was when I was 15. And then I had a couple of uh, TIAs, which are little baby or mini strokes. Um, so I do have a few memory issues. So if you ever hear me go, uh, or I need a word or something like that, it's, it, it's more than just old age. I'm sure old age will make this even more fun. But um, the first thing I do is I try to record my lines with the characters or actors because hearing it, you know, um, and, and I listen to my lines ad nauseum. I even put on headphones and go to sleep and listen to the, the voice of the words and, and you know, 
the cue words on there um, for very long passages. Um, a, a friend showed me this method where honestly you write it all out, it's, it's work. And you know, that's one thing I want young actors to know that this is work, it, we get to play, but this is work. You have to put in the work to get to play, right? And so um, the, the first thing I do is take all my scenes, any long chunks, any long monologues, anything more than six lines, three to six lines, I write it all out. And then I get lined paper and I write it out again. And then I go back and skip a line, right? I write it out, skip a line, write out a sentence, skip a line. And then I go back and I write all the initials of each word, right? Wow. So I know it, it's work, but it, it's the way my brain processes things. And, and I do put in the work. And then I take all of those initials and I put them on a separate sheet. Mm -hmm. Then I go back and I cover up the line where the sentences are. And I try to read just the initials and make, you know. So um, the best example of this is um, I-P-A-T-T-F. What would that be if you thought about it? It's something you've said since you were in first grade. You know this. I-P-T-T-F? I plead the fifth. <laughs> you said that since first grade, Sam. No, I pledge allegiance to the flag. Of oh, no, I was taking an E when I was in elementary school. Oh, Kidding. Stop it. You better not be pleading Kidding. the fifth. You better, you better not. Um, you shouldn't have to. No. But no, um, yeah, so, and, and that's the thing is repetition, right? We learn even things like the Pledge of Allegiance because we've got it, we said it every day. I've got thoughts about that too, but we won't go there during this chat tonight. But, um, and then those initials, you know, you can, you would learn, I would learn monologue that way. And then I would get to a point where I would just get rid of the fully written out monologue, those skip a line and just do the initials to learn my monologues. And then I would use that as practice. Mm -hmm. And then I transitioned for putting that paper down and just going by memory. So wow. those are my two my two strategies that I use mostly. It's a lot of work, but yeah, and especially to be word perfect. Sorry, when you're when you're okay. pursuing word perfect. Yes, nice. I always try to pursue word perfect. Absolutely. You know, playwrights that that R I uh, W R I G H T they rot over those words. So I want to make sure I honor those words. Absolutely. Um, when you're in the moment on stage, uh, for me, when I feel myself going up, I can picture the page that I'm on, like I can see the page number, and then the specific part of the page, like I might not see the words necessarily, but my brain uh -huh. sees the picture of where I am, and then I know what I'm supposed to say. In the moment for you, how does that manifest itself? Is it just the repetition and it's just there? Or? I, think it, I think it's the repetition. I think it's like hearing the voice of the actor in my head too. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not, I'm really not sure how my broken brain works, but that is a part of it. You know, when you have a traumatic brain, brain injury, you know, you do what's best for your brain. And I, and I do think, um, you know, tracking to, you know, what scenes and what's happening. I do outlines of plays. Um, what what the story is following the story yeah uh, so that's, 
as you sit comic- now, oh, go ahead. No, I just say call me crazy. Oh, no. Never that. Never that. My special kind of crazy. I yeah, told you. Let's, let's get rid You're of some a fire I wouldn't dare try to control. You'd be who you are. <laughs> I'll let you burn. I'm not going to burn up. I'm a phoenix. I just keep rising from that. That's right. That's right. You'll be with us. As you look at 2021, and we talked about this climate, it's, it's different politically than it's ever been, I've ever been aware of. In my life it's been far from perfect for a lot of us for more than a few centuries but now i think there is a sense of for everyone just how volatile the mix is what are some of the things you are intending to do with your art in the next chapter of your life i want to be even more authentic than i've ever been And I think I've always shown up in my authenticity because I don't know how to be anything but that. And, but now even those like parts of me that I wanted to hide, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to show up as Lisa Young, this black woman who is disabled and outspoken and caring. You know, I, I love hard. I, I love people with a lot of heart and, and I try to meet people where they are because of that compassion I have from, from knowing what I haven't received. Mm-hmm. And I always want to give people the benefit of the doubt, right? Yeah. That they are more than what you see, right? Yeah. And so for me, I want you to be, be able to see more than what I show, I guess, yes. you know? Absolutely. And, um, yeah, I mean, I I honestly don't want to hide anymore. I don't want to uh, code switch. That that's gone. I can't anymore, and because you know, living in duality is hard. It is really hard. It's exhausting, and it is. It's so exhausting. You know, there there are nights that, you know, you kind of sit down and, and I don't know about you, but I think about how conversations went and it's like, oh, I wish I would have said this or I wish I would have said this in in my truth, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm tired of that. I can't, I can't do that anymore. I'm just going to show up as I am and either you're going to love me or you're going to tell me to, you know, bring it down a little and no, I can't, you know? Yeah. Um, I think my, you know, <laughs> my one thing I've always said is like, oh, you're so loud. No, I'm not loud. I'm a professionally trained actor and projecting. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that I am projecting it and, and I'm making sure you hear me, mm-hmm. right? And listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth, Chris Tucker. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice rush hour reference. I'm here for it. Anytime. Yeah. yeah. Well, you like sports. I love movies and books and Funko Pops. I, right. I keep saying that. I got plenty of Funko Pops. I got, I'm staring at Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, Nikola Jokic, Jerry Rice. I got oh, some Batman Funko Pops Funko? over there. Uh oh, we might have to do a Funko Pop. I love Funko Pops. I just Pops. got um, TLC. 
And I got the I got the chase one of of um, Chili, the the blue waterfall. So she's I have her real one, then I have her waterfall one. Oh, nice. so, oh don't get me started on Funko Pops. It's, they're so adorable. I don't understand why ah! people don't have a hundred of them in their houses I at all times. I, pro- I probably have a hundred. I probably have two hundred. Don't don't tell my husband, but I probably have two hundred. I won't. I won't tell him anything. You see, he'll safe. probably listen to this. He walks over them every day. <laughs> so it's funny. <laughs> I, I was I, falling I, off a shelf. <laughs> I realized I had too many when my dog started like chewing on my Venom Funko Pops head. I was like, okay, yeah, put that up higher. Oh yeah, way yeah, too accessible. Way too accessible. Yeah. Get him his own uh, doggy Funko Pop, something that looks like it. You know, dogs are too smart. And and shout out to Cajardo Lindsay's dog just chewed up his remote control. I just saw today. Oh, no. (laughs) You know, dogs always chew the things that you could buy him a thousand different toys. And it's like, oh, what's this thing that you're always playing with? Oh, your iPhone 12? That looks delicious, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't know how many gifts I've given this little guy, and it's just nothing. Doesn't do it for him. They're all on his bed. He plays with them for like thirty seconds, and the rest of the time he just sleeps. Like whatever, man. Okay, I want, I want to see you a doggy. Can you want to see my dog? All right. Of course, I want to see right. your dog. Let's, let's pass out. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness! That's the boy right there. I That's I, Mike. I wish I could sleep like dog. I wish I could play and sleep like dogs. Right. Oh my God! I mean, the way they sleep—it's like they never have back problems. That'd be amazing. Yeah, <laughs> But don't forget, you have to do that circle three yeah. times, and then, you gotta—you yeah. gotta make sure you got the right comfort zone. You gotta push it all yeah. down. Get it's a whole science straight. for a dog. Yeah, absolutely. Dog science. Mm. Yes. What is that ghost light you wish was left on for you before you started your career that you'd like to leave on for the next generation and for the ghosties listening at home? Great question, Sam. You know, I'm standing on the shoulders of so many giants. Um, I want to just put Jeffrey Nicholson's name into the atmosphere. Um, when I came back from Louisiana uh, from college, and you know, I was like, I wonder what's going on in Colorado theater, and I got interested in jumping back into the fray. Um, Jeffrey is the owner and founder of shadow theater company which is now where vintage sits right and i think of the blood sweat and tears that that man took i believe that was an auto shop Mm -hmm. and built a theater out of right and and i spoke to jeffrey and i said you know jeffrey i I really really i've been watching uh black theater in colorado since Ulipians, you know and shadow started when i was a kid and and I really, really, really would love to get back on stage and and do some work. And he was going to be one of my mentors, and then we lost him, right? Mm-hmm. And just devastated at the fact that there could have been so much more from him. So I don't. I want to leave everything on the playing field. You know, just your sports guy. I don't want to leave anything. I don't leave anything in in the in the locker room. I want yeah. to put it all out there. And I know I have to say no to some things, but I want more opportunities to, and I want to prepare more opportunities 
for, uh, you know, I teach at Boston K through eight, I teach drama to black and brown children who are first year immigrants, who are refugees, who are, you know, uh, below the poverty line. I teach kids who the only meal they get or the only shelter they get is when they're in school. And I wanna leave a legacy where they have a home where they can, first of all, learn their craft and then just the light will never go off for them. Mm -hmm. The light remains on and those stories because even if they're not actors, even if they're not directors, they might be our new playwrights, right? Mm -hmm. There are children who have traveled to this country and have learned English. Could you imagine the stories they could tell about not only the atrocities they've seen, but the beauty of life that they have learned, uh, the, the, the giving spirit of humans who had no you know, they have no um, skin in the game mm. other than there's a hungry child or a cold child or an uneducated child and, and, and what it felt like for that kid to have that person save their life, literally. Oh. You know, those stories need to be told. Um, so yeah, my, I, would, I would hope that the ghost light that I leave on and my legacy would be that I think about little Lisa Right. Mm-hmm. I think about her eyes being open, and and the magic that she saw. I, I want I want to see those eyes pop open on these kids and and have them see. Oh, I can make magic. I can I can I can. First of all, I can leave my life for just a moment and be anything, anyone, anything. And that might even be the catalyst or the spark that that takes them somewhere else in life. They may not even be uh, in the arts, but I think that's what's important. Absolutely. Lisa Young, thank you so much for joining us today. You are magic. You don't just create it. Dan, this is the Ghost Let's Podcast. Do the damn thing. (laughs) 